Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, so now that being said, I'm just going to jump into our teaching, uh, and I'm going to ask that when we go home, that we continue to pray for all of these families that are sick, all of these people that are impacted by COVID. I know it sounds crazy, but we shouldn't have to ask the church to pray about this stuff. We should be praying about it uh, regularly, but uh, this, is, this is something that I was just telling someone this morning, this, this world we're in with COVID and the division, this is going to be the world that we are kind of in for this next season of life, whether that be months or years. And what we have to do is learn how to navigate through it. How are we going to live and, and, and work and educate through it and not divide through it, right? So now I'm going to change gears really quick. Uh, because one of the things that the church is responsible for is, is educating people. A lot of the things we teach in the church, uh, people will look at us and say, well, we're just trying to legislate morality. We're trying to teach things uh, that are only specific to the Bible and that only benefit us, which is not true. Uh, so let me share this with you quickly. Because when it comes to educating people, right, most school districts are overseen by a school board. Right? We have a school board in our school district, in Elizabeth they do, in Clareton they do. All these school districts, they have a school board. The school board is made up of people from the community who are elected by other people within the community. Right? So everyone has a fair shot at, at helping to determine what's taught in the schools. Now, the school board will work with the superintendent of the schools, right? And, and based on, you know, the overarching, what the Department of Education, federal government says, here's, here's the things that have to be taught, here's things that cannot be taught, uh, then the school boards and the superintendent will determine, here's what we're going to teach, you know, based on our community, our needs, our students, the age groups, that kind of thing. Which is why, even though there are school districts in every, you know, state in America, you can live in one state, and this has happened to me and to other people, and then when you move to another state, right, the things that you learned here may have you ahead of the school district you moved to. So here they're teaching, you know, things at this level. You move to another state in another school district, and you might be ahead because, well, you've already learned all this stuff. The other bad thing is you may be behind because if you move from a school district where they haven't taught the things that they've already learned in the school district you moved to, you could be behind, right? So every school district has different things that they teach, but none of the school districts, as far as I know, so somebody correct me if I'm wrong, are teaching some of the more practical things that students need to know when they get out of school, to do life, right? So uh, there's several things uh, that kids are supposed to know, you know, like math, science, reading, writing, history, all that kind of stuff. But there are some more practical things that we could probably teach uh, some of the kids. So uh, here's the question I want to ask. Uh, what would you teach? How many people think, you know, 
teaching more about financial responsibility, like money, how to balance a checkbook, how to do your credit. That's probably something that kids should know, because no matter where you are, United States, probably the world, once you get out of school, you're going to need to know how to write a check, maybe not so much a check, but banking, depositing, how to keep track of your money. Uh, you're actually, I, I would even refine that and say, uh, probably teach some skills on how to build your credit, because that's crucial. And even now, when kids are in not just high school, but uh, uh, I won't say elementary school, but middle school, junior high, they're getting jobs, and they need to know what to do with their money. They need to know how to save it, right? They need to know how, how when they spend their money, or if they, they get credit cards, because a lot of people are going in the stores, and this happened to me, true story, when I was in the military, uh, got into the military, was in a military town where they're like giving credit cards from the stores to the military people. And I'm like, a credit card, never had one before. Got a credit card, forgot all about paying the bill, right? And don't laugh at me, I think I told you this before, but it was for a pink blazer. They were in style back then, it was the 80s, don't laugh at me. It was a pink blazer, I wanted one, I bought one, put it on the credit card, totally forgot about that store because I never went into that store again. Even though they mailed me the credit card, put that aside somewhere. Credit impacted for seven years for a pink blazer that I literally wore twice. And both times got laughed at, whole different story. But people need to know, you know, they, they don't teach you in school about financial responsibility, right? One of the other things that they probably should teach, now this is just me, uh, I would say they should probably teach self-defense because every single person in America needs to know. I'm not talking about, you know, teach you like Krav Maga or, or, or how to be an MMA cage fighter, but how to defend yourself. Someone accosts you on the street. Someone tries to pull you out of your car against your will. How do you defend yourself against that? Now, me personally, I would probably add on to that uh, uh, basic weapon skills. I know there's a big gun control thing going on, but I would want kids to know, same thing they taught us in the military. Uh, here's how to have respect for the weapon, because it can take a life. Here's how to clean them. Here's how to actually use them. Here's how to store them properly. Right? They don't tell you that at the store. And also, here's, here's what you need to do. In order to own a weapon, uh, you have to be able to at least accomplish these things. Clean it, store it, uh, know about the safety, and be able to use it in a satisfactory way. But then also, and this is probably the most important, job interview and job maintenance skills. Right? These are things that kids need to know. A lot of kids don't know how to have a basic conversation about here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses, here's how I can benefit your organization. And then maintenance skills like I need to show up on time, I need to be responsible for my work, I need to do what's asked of me, just basic things that will help you keep your job that a lot of people uh, don't do today. Right? These are all things that people should know because they're all needed outside of school but they're not taught in school. And the only reason I bring this up is because this morning, we're gonna talk about a bunch of other skills that are needed, that aren't taught in school, but that the Bible mandates, um, hey, these are the things that should be taught to equip people for everyday basic skills. 
right? Uh, as we walk through, we're going to continue. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Titus. As we walk through the book of Titus, right, one of the things that we said, this whole theme that Paul is trying to communicate all about teaching, and he's telling, Paul is telling Titus nothing, whole theme, nothing more important than correct biblical teaching when it comes to equipping the people of God. And understanding the things that we're going to talk about today, they're, they're biblical things that need to be taught. Uh, they're pretty crucial for the church today. Now, I want you to follow along in the book of Titus, but I'm going to put all the verses up on screen because uh, we're going to walk through them slowly together. And, and, and again, we, we're, we're, we're in Titus chapter 2 right now. That's where we're, we're starting, Titus chapter 2. But I'm going to jump down to the very last verse of the book of Titus because it kind of summarizes what chapter 2 is all about. In Titus chapter 2, verse 15, this is what Paul writes to Titus. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. All the things we're about to discuss even though some of them may be controversial, even though some of them, some people may not agree with, all of these are the things that, excuse me, he says that you should teach. And he says, encourage and rebuke with all authority. The authority he's talking about is what's called apostolic authority, right? Jesus handpicked all the apostles except one, Matthias. And what the apostles did is, is after uh, Jesus was resurrected, they say, hey, uh, we need to ch choose an apostle to replace uh, Judas. And they set a requirement, whoever we choose, it's got to be someone that was there from the day that Jesus was baptized until the day he was taken up. Because they have to be able to testify that, yeah, this is what Jesus said, this is what he taught, this is what he meant by that. And so they cast lots and they chose Matthias. Jesus handpicked all of the original 12, and then he handpicked Paul and told him, hey, you're going to be my chosen uh, messenger specifically to carry my message to the Gentiles, and you're going to share it with kings and rulers and military leaders. So that apostolic authority is, is the authority that says, comes from God that says, yeah, I'm, I'm testifying this is what God said, this is what he wants, this is what he meant. And then Paul says to Titus, you're to take that authority and you're supposed to encourage the church, but also rebuke and correct the church, Right? which is very important. Uh, and then he says this. He says, don't let anyone despise you. We can't control who despises us, right? I mean, I have a lot of people who just hate me because I'm a pastor. I have a lot of people who despise me because of my skin color. I can't control that. But what it means is, is to kind of give some thought and uh, consider how what you're saying is perceived is what that, don't let anyone despise you. It's actually a phrase that says, look at how you're perceived. So he's communicating to him, and he says, hey, teach with all apostolic authority. Use that authority to encourage and correct and equip the people, but also consider how you're perceived, because you're a shepherd to the people, right? Now, um, I'm going to jump back uh, to, before we jump into chapter two, the last thing he said in chapter one, because we have a tendency to 
because it's broken up, uh, we don't read it as one letter. We kind of stop and, and, and read it as a different chapter. And the last thing he said in chapter one was, hey, they, and he's talking about all these false teachers, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and they're unfit for doing anything good. And then the next breath, if he was saying this, the next line says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So he's contrasting or contrasting, hey, they're unfit. They, they don't know God. They claim to, but they don't do anything to show that they know God. But you, you teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine because that's going to help refute the claims of the unbiblical teachers. And this is, where, this is where it gets into more of the practical stuff for us, Right? Because he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And then everything he's about to lay out is what's considered sound doctrine. Okay? And the next verse he says is this. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Now, does anyone see the word, or did you hear me read the words, like teach about salvation, right? He doesn't say teach about the grace of God. He doesn't say even, hey, teach them to share the gospel. He's telling them that, hey, you know what biblical sound doctrine is? It's teaching them how they're supposed to interact with one another including that word self-controlled. Uh, uh, it, it's a phrase that literally means, some versions use the phrase sober-minded. It's the thought that, that being that uh, when you make decisions, not having them clouded by either alcohol or anything that's going to, you know, kind of um, cause your thinking to be muddled. Making clear-headed decisions. And teaching people how to do that, as well as being patient, as well as controlling your temper, as well as respecting other people. He says that's sound biblical doctrine, right? He says um, this, and especially the aspect of being self-controlled, that's what the church is supposed to be teaching. We're supposed to be teaching that from the pulpit. When he says teach it, it's also a word that means teach or preach or say this. This is part of, uh, and yes, we're supposed to teach about the Bible. We're supposed to teach about, you know, salvation. We're supposed to teach about the resurrection. We're supposed to teach through the books of the Bible. But we're also supposed to teach people to be self-controlled. Think about this. Think of all the issues just over the last few years that have divided our nation. Think about what if those people had exercised self-control. Think about the whole, when the Me Too movement came out and all the, the women who came up and said they were uh, uh, physically or sexually abused, how would that be different if those men had been taught to make better decisions and to be self-controlled? Think about any abuse of power, whether it be political, whether it be the priest, whether it be the police, any abuse of power, how would that have turned out different? if the people in those positions of power had been taught to make better God-honoring decisions and to be self-controlled. And he doesn't just say this 
to the men. Right? He says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children. He says, uh, we're also supposed to teach the older women to be reverent, to be respectful. And in the next verse, he says, even teach them uh, uh, to, uh, um, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands. And the idea is that we're supposed to teach and equip the older women to mentor and raise up the younger women. And a lot of the problems we have in the church right now is because a lot of women are like, I don't need some, you know, old white man, black man, man, whoever, telling me what to do with my body, right? Especially when you talk about abortions, because they're like, I don't want all these male politicians trying to tell me what to do with my body. But imagine if there was a God-honoring, spirit-filled, Bible-believing woman who could say to them, hey, I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your body. I'm trying to tell you how you can honor your bodies, right? And I can't sit and have a, a deep one-on-one help you through what you're struggling with conversation with younger women, but like Karen can or Beth can or Bobby can because they're a woman. And, and, and even this, I thought it was funny because uh, where it says um, teach them to love their husbands and children, it's not the word unconditional, the word uh, agape that's used for unconditional love. It's the word phylos used for brotherly love. Because the idea is, hey, it's not about teaching them how to have all this romantic, oh, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they already have that. It's about an older woman sitting down with a younger woman and saying, hey, I, I know you have all the romantic love, but let me teach you how to just like your husband so the times when you feel like that has worn off, you can still have a God-honoring marriage. And the reason why we see so many divorces is because you have people like me from the pulpit trying to say, thus saith the Lord, when what you need are older women, godly women who have been married for, and I'm not trying to say women are old or whatever, but who have been married for a long period of time and know what it takes to keep a marriage, stepping into the life of a younger woman, say, hey, I know you feel you're struggling through this, but let me tell you and teach you and encourage you so that you can still just even have that brotherly love for your husband at those times when you feel like, I don't like him anymore because that will help you keep your marriage going. These are the types of things that he says, hey, this stuff that we're talking about, that's, and again, nowhere up there does it talk about salvation. It's not talking about justification, understanding what grace is, but he says these are the types of things that we're supposed to be teaching from the pulpit, right? Then he goes on, he says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, right? How many see this theme of self-control? To the older men, teach them to be self-controlled. To the, 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 the older women, right? Have them encourage the younger women to be self-controlled. And to the, the younger men, he says that we're supposed to model it for them. He says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything, set them an example. We're supposed to model it for them. 
by doing what is good, and your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And I think that last sentence says a lot. He says, we're supposed to uh, uh, set an example for the young men, but in the way that we teach, the way that we preach from the pulpit, right, uh, we're supposed to have soundness of speech so that we cannot be condemned. Here's why. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing this bad to say about not just him, but us. Because the way we teach from the pulpit reflects not just on us, but on all of us. There are people uh, that, that they hear one preacher preach one thing, and from their perspective, that's across all of Christianity. So if one preacher preaches a false truth, they apply that to all Christians. If one preacher preaches, you know, uh, what we used to call fire and brimstone from the pulpit, which you still can preach that. But if he preaches hate and bigotry from the pulpit, then people look and say, hey, the church is full of racists and bigoted people. And we've all seen that before, where one video, one, one sound bite, one clip goes viral, and it impacts the way that uh, lots of people see lots of things. But uh, he also says this, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because we've talked about it in several of our teachings before, but when he uses the word slaves, he means bondservant, Right? And just to make sure, so people don't say, well, that's just me trying to, you know, defend the Bible. Uh, if you look in the ESV versions, lots of other versions, uh, the English Standard Version is more of a word-for-word translation. The NIV is more of a, here, here's all the words, but here's the thought that's being displayed, so they translate that thought. In the word-for-word translation, it uses a word, bondservants are to be submissive. And the reason they use the word bondservants is because in Rome, in that time, uh, and we talked about this before, it was believed that anywhere from 25 to almost 50% of the population were slaves or bondservants because Rome was a conquering nation. So people became slaves one of a couple of ways. Either when Rome conquered your nation, you ended up getting taken, become a, a, a part of the Roman Empire, but then they would give you a job, and since you weren't a citizen, you were called a slave you worked for the government. Or uh, if you were uh, um, owned a business or whatever uh, and you couldn't pay your debts, you would have to literally sell yourself into slavery. And, or, or, or if, let's say, um, they're not here right now, so let's talk about Brandon and Lene. If they opened like, you know, a food truck, because are they watching online? Probably not. Okay. They opened like a food truck thing, because Brandon has said that before. His barbecue is so good. But... Um, They've uh, said that, yeah, we would love to do that. Let's say it costs them like $200,000 because, you know, food-related restaurants, all those things are expensive. But then something, God forbid, happens to them. In that day, the creditor 
would come to their children and say, hey, Roscoe, hey, Rita, I know you guys are only six and seven and eight years old, but you have to pay off this debt, so you are now slaves, and you'll work for me for free to pay off your parents' debt. And across the population, there were like 40 to 50% uh, of the people who ended up being slaves. And what Paul says, hey, you bond servants are to be submissive to your own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing from them, but showing good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And the reason he said that is, is the same reason why we should be teaching this to people, even though if you're not a bonser, if you have a job, because the truth is, in your workplace, you're teaching people about God with your actions. So if you're stealing things from work, but claiming to be a Christian, that's not just how they see you, that's how they see your God. If you're constantly showing up late or slacking off on doing the work or mouthing off to your superiors but claiming to be a Christian, that's not just how they see you. That's also how they see God because you and your actions are a reflection of him. Now, in the next verses, he talks about doing all this so that people can be saved because it's all about the gospel. And he reiterates again that nothing is more important than correct biblical teaching when it comes to equipping the people of God. And these are the types of things that are not taught at school. Self-control, uh, discipline, perseverance, being patient, respect for one another. But these are the things that he mandates they should be taught in the church. Because it's not the, hey, how many people can we get in the building and then hear the pastor preach that gets people saved. It's the, how many people are experiencing you out in the world, at your workplace and in the stores? And when you interact with them, are you being respectful? Are you showing patience? Are you reverential of God, not just because you're in here on Sunday, but on Monday when no one wants to go to work? Are we still being God-honoring people, although we feel like we're no longer in the presence of God when we step out of here on Sunday morning? And I'm going to close with this because uh, I had um, on uh, Wednesday evenings, after we do our Wednesday night prayer, um, I do a, a, it was supposed to be a Bible study, uh, turned into more of a Q&A um, um, on uh, Facebook and on TikTok. And this is one of the questions, and it kind of stuck with me. Um, this is one of the questions that someone asked me uh, in that TikTok video. They said, how do we love people, if you're a Christian, how do we love people and show the grace of God to others without being a doormat, right? Without having people walk all over you? Because that's, that's that thing that comes up. A lot of Christians feel like, well, I'm not going to let people walk all over me or my home or my family or my nation, and then sometimes that's misperceived. And his question was, well, how do, how do we show uh, the, that, that love to people and the grace of God to people 
people who hate us, people who don't like us, people who just keep bad-mouthing us to where we don't look like we're just, you know, wishy-washy and a doormat. And, and the first thing I would say to this is you can't show the love of God if you haven't received the love of God. You can't show the grace of God if you haven't experienced his grace yourself. So I, w- I, w- I would caution, and I'm not trying to, you know, say to him or anyone else, I would caution every single person, first and foremost, make sure that you have received God's love. If you're claiming to be a Christian just because you were brought up in a church or just because your parents dragged you to church, that's not what makes you a Christian. That's not, that hasn't assured that you have received God's love. The only way to do that is to ask him for it. You don't have to go to a special church. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to go to the altar. Just, God, I want to know that love and that grace that you so freely give. So that's the first thing, is make sure that you're able to show love. The second thing is, if you have received the love of God, then start looking at other people as they are worthy of God's love. Because if I look at other people as worthy of God's love and see them the way he sees them, it's a lot harder for me to hate them, bark at them. It's a lot easier for me to be respectful to them. Because God only sees people two ways. He sees either those who don't know him, and then he wants them to experience his love, and those who do know him. And he wants us to experience his love. There is no third option. And if we start looking at people that way, then it becomes easier to look at them and say, well, they don't know God's love, so I want them to experience God's love. Or they do know God's love, I want them to experience God's love. And then the third one, so one, make sure that you have experienced the love of God. Two, start looking at others the way God sees them. And the third one, and this is the most important, make sure you are telling others about God's love. Make sure you're communicating to people that there is a God who loves them. And I would say for us as pastors who do this, make sure we're teaching all of these things from the pulpit. There's not a school on the face of the earth. I went to private school. It wasn't Christian. Private school uh, in New York City. And way back then, I only went for two years. I don't remember how much my mom paid. I think it was like somewhere between three to $5,000 a month. She was a single parent working in a hotel. And I know she was in debt up to her ears just trying to pay for me to go to school. Not once learned this. There are Christian schools that will will teach the Bible and make sure you memorize verses, but they're not teaching how to respect one another, how to love one another, how to make sound biblical decisions. So we in the church have to take on that mandate. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, and we're going to close with prayer. God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I just... I pray with all my heart, mind, body, and soul that if if there's no other message I preach, this is one that we take to heart, that we understand the need to teach, to preach, to communicate from the pulpit, from our congregations as the body of Christ, the need for self-control, the need for respecting other people, 
the need for making sound, God-honoring, biblical decisions in every aspect of our life. That we understand that what we say and what we do reflects not just on us, but also on you, Lord. And that we, 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 if we haven't, that we're able to experience your love and goodness and grace just merely for whoever hasn't, that they would just ask you right now to be a recipient of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for rolling with the unorthodox kind of Sunday celebration today. But, yeah, just continue to pray for all of the people and family members who are sick. Um, if you want to, reach out to them. Uh, maybe not go to them, the ones that have COVID. Reach out to them, text them, call them, send them a letter. Let them know that you're praying for them because uh, they could definitely use your prayers. Right. That being said, pray that you guys have an awesome rest of your week. Thank all you guys for watching us online. Pray you have an awesome rest of your week as well. God bless. <laughs>